The Lord says, America, you have been given so much. I have such high expectation. But your failure is because you do not seek me. From your people who are led astray. Because of those who have taken the place of leadership that is not theirs. Because of this, I will come before you. Three places have come into my crosshairs. Washington, you have influenced this nation for other gods. You have placed other gods before me and have caused others, even my children, to be led astray. You are in my crosshairs. New York, your manipulation does not end. You use people and you control through your financial power. It has been said that you are the greatest city in the world. Your crown will be taken. And it will not be given back. You, New York, are in my crosshairs. California, you have chosen a life of ease. You choose relaxation and self-indulgence over me. You were to be the city on a hill. And you have become a trash dump. You are in my crosshairs. All of this is to bring this nation back to me because of its calling from the beginning it will be realized a cleansing is coming and yes a cleansing is even here because my people have asked for it my remnant throughout the world has called for it. America, you have been blessed and expected to be a leader in this world. And you will be.
Let's pray. Father, we worship you. We praise you. I give you my yes. I give you my heart. I give you my will. I give you my voice, my hands, my feet. I don't even want them for myself. I want them to be yours. Because my prize is not what is here on this earth, not what is manifest here. My prize is you. My prize is eternity with you. Intimacy in that relationship that you offer. Not just the hope of that intimacy, but the realization of it, even right here and right now. Father, speak through me according to your will. In Jesus' name, amen. talking to the Lord this morning and I had a thought what does it look like when we have a calling on our lives what does it look like when a nation has a calling on itself does that make it automatic look at your own life Most everyone in here has perhaps heard from the Lord about what he wants for their lives. Whether specific or in general terms, he has spoken to each one. He has laid out things that he wants in relationship with you to each one of you. And we talk about prophecies that have been said over us. I know Ignition has had many prophecies over it. I have had many prophecies over me. Many in here have had many prophecies and confirmed prophecies. Where it came from multiple places. I I remember toward the beginning when I first even understood that prophecy was real. I remember going to a church where I didn't know anybody there and somebody prophesying over me. And it was exactly what I had heard two weeks before. And then it happened again at another church that I went to. These were confirmations of a prophecy. In that prophecy, I have a choice. First, I have a choice to believe. I have a choice to pour faith into that prophecy. Pour faith into what the Lord has given to me or laid on my heart for my life. But two, I have a choice to move in that or to wait. Sit back and assume God will do everything. See, that's where a nation falls. That's where we fall as individuals. 
when we just sit back and say, well, yeah, there's these prophecies on my life. I know it's going to happen someday. And then we just go about our own business. We just go about our own lives in the way we see fit without pressing into him. See, he expects us to press. I want you to turn. Let's see. I think it's Second Corinthians. No, First Corinthians. Go to First Corinthians chapter nine. First Corinthians chapter nine, verse twenty-four says this: Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. In other words, that he, what he, he's not saying that all of you run because there's only going to be one winner. That's, that's not his point in saying this. Because we can all be winners. What he is saying is run like an athlete, a competitive athlete does to win. That means they put their entire life into it. I don't know if you have known many very high-level competitive athletes. I've known a number. I remember this one who I just happened to be dating. In fact, rather than engagement, she chose her, uh, her sport because she was an Olympian. But I remember the dedication it took for her to succeed in that sport. When others were off doing things, she was working out. When others were, were out goofing around or playing or even working or whatever they were doing, she was honing her craft. And any athlete that is of that level of achievement, there's such cost. That's what Paul's talking about here. In your life, when you have a calling of your, in, in your life, when the Lord has laid before you these prophecies, and in His Word laid out what He wants for your life, He has an expectation for you to commit yourself just like that athlete. Commit yourself to giving everything toward it. And, and what that actually means that's where the gap seems to be, because we talk about this all the time. Preachers preach it all the time, but yet we don't see people do it that often. I don't know if there is a change that happens when somebody walks out a door of a church. Maybe, maybe if church is a compartmentalization for you, or let, let's change that. If God is a compartmentalization for you, when you walk outside of that compartment, He is not there. His influence is not there. If you compartmentalize Him. Whereas if you make Him a piece of everything that you do in your life, every little piece that He has called you to, then in each piece, you hone that craft 
to make it what he wants. See, those prophecies don't just automatically come. They're promises. They're offerings. And, and I'm talking about on an individual basis. This does not mean that the promises that God gives in his word over nations, over people groups, are not true. They're absolutely true. And, and by the way, they don't depend upon those nations. Because those nations depend upon the people within the nations. And God will always rise up a remnant to fulfill his plan. America is a planned prophecy of leading this world. She has done it at different points in her history, but none like she is about to. But it's not because God manipulates all the people to then just believe what he said. He gives opportunity for them to do that. And when they do not, he rises up a remnant inside of them to do it. That's what he's doing. What is coming upon this country, what's coming upon the world, is not because we're going to hell in a handbasket. It's because God is listening to the remnant of his people. Where they're saying, we want to walk in intimacy with you. We want this external influence that brings oppression on our lives that is intimate with you. We want it stopped. See, there's a point. Jesus, hearing his children, says enough's enough. We're at that point. You ever have kids? I, I remember when I was a little kid and used to get beat up every day. I kept thinking, how long do I have to put up with this? You know, and, and as a little kid, I, I can't even, I think I was in second grade. Yeah, second grade. So it's, it's not like I really knew everything about what was going on. I just knew I got beat up every day. And it's like, God, when is this going to end? And I remember talking to the Lord about it because I didn't understand it. I wanted these kids to be my friends. I was a Christian. I, I, I was outspoken about that in the second grade in public school and laughed at for it. But honestly, that didn't bother me. never did. Because I just believed it, and I thought, man, alive, how do these people not know? They're laughing at me. Why are they laughing at me? They're kind of stupid. Right? But then I'm getting beat up for it every day. Lord, when will this end? Lord, I cry out to you as much as I could understand crying out to him in the second grade. That's what I did. And do you know how his salvation came? You would have thought maybe... I would have made friends with some Mr. Miyagi who taught me how to take care of the situation. 
Or maybe I would make friends with some bigger guy than them and they'd be afraid of him and then all of a sudden my life would get better. That's not what happened. I literally went home one day bloody, which was their mistake. They would always hit me in the stomach so it wouldn't show, but this time they hit me in the mouth. And I had a bloody lip and went inside. And my dad was like, what happened? And I started telling him that I've been getting beat up every day. And in, instead of him gallantly coming to my rescue, a typical Marine said, did you try hitting them back? Well, no. I didn't know I was supposed to hit people. He taught me that day how to defend myself. And the next day, just like clockwork, happened again. And at the end of that one, those kids were my best friends. Explain that one to me. But the point is, when we cry out to God, he brings salvation. He brings hope. I know things seem dark right now. But guess what? They're about to get a lot darker. A lot darker. If you do not have the hope of what he is really doing and that he is behind this, you will be consumed in that hopelessness. It may not feel like it right now because right now it could just be, I believe or I don't believe because it doesn't affect me either way. But when it hits, you will be forced to make that choice. See, God gives hope in that. The hope is the fact that he is bringing the cleansing. He is literally answering his remnant and their prayers for this cleansing, for this hope, for a better world, for a better nation, for a nation and a city whose foundations literally are built by God. That was Abraham's hope. In Hebrews 11, that was the hope of all of them in the Hall of Faith. That was the one thing that tied them together through all of history, ties us together even right now, that we have hope in what Jesus is doing and will do. But he is doing it now. We are privileged as a bride to live in this time. Even though it is an extremely difficult time and will get a lot more difficult. We're privileged to live in this time. So back to what Paul said in here. We run a race as if we are a competitive Runner to win. Each of us to win. What are we winning? We are winning that intimacy with Jesus. We are winning all the things that he has planned in society and how they're to flow when he is at the center of everything. I mean, what, what an extraordinary thought. Few times in history this is 
even come about on a large scale. But it's going to. Because when Jesus died on the cross, he paid for every piece of it. He didn't pay for you to have it when you finally get to heaven. I mean, heaven is our inheritance. But he paid for it for you to have it here. He paid for it so his bride would have it here. It has already been paid for. He already sent the armament for it. He equipped the army. I mean, how how frustrating is that? We just went through this in Afghanistan. Right? We could have had the capability there to get all our people out. For that matter, get everybody out that needed to get out in safety. Not from backing down. Not from being a coward. Not from holding back and just saying, please don't hurt us yet. We could have, we have the capability, and could have been in a position of strength. And said... You know what? Don't touch our people till we're done. Because it will cost you more than you can even fathom. And then we could have gotten the people out, been done with it, whatever. We had that capability. Do you know the bride has the same capability right now? Jesus, he said, when I go, the Father will send the Comforter. Well, if you've done any kind of study on the Holy Spirit, you know He is in our lives more than just to make you feel better. (laughs) I mean, if that's all He is to you, man, alive, take some time and figure out who He really is. What His portion really is. Do you know that the Holy Spirit is the weapon that crushes the enemy. He was given 2,000 years ago. When you accept Jesus Christ into your heart, you're sealed by that very power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. If that doesn't blow your mind, I don't know what will. Connect with that for a second. You are sealed by the Holy Spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. This gave you a membership card. A membership card that you can then apply and say, I want more. I get to get in, but I want more. I want what you want for my life. You have equipped us for battle, you have equipped us to not have to take this junk anymore. This oppression that comes down upon the people of God. I mean, do you do you really and, and I'm I'm asking this sincerely, do you really think we're supposed to just sit and take it? Do you really think that? Bride, wake up. We're not supposed to sit and take it. We have the power of the Holy Spirit on us. How is that activated? That's activated through purity in our walk with Him. 
When we walk in our relationship with Jesus Christ in purity, He can then flow without any obstruction. You want to activate the Holy Spirit in your life? Seek Jesus with your whole heart. And say, do whatever you want, God. I'm yours. Do whatever you want. Just use me however you want. When He has a group of people that have all committed to doing this. doesn't matter how big that group is. In fact, it's usually small. That's why he calls them a remnant. But then he says, okay. Because you are my children, I will not forsake you. It is time I will do this. See, the Holy Spirit is about to come in power. He is about to fall on all flesh. But don't assume for a second that he just makes the decision that, okay, on November 1st, I'm going to fall and I'm just going to change the world. It's not what he does. He works through people. He's going to work through his remnant. You will see people rise up that are intimate with the Lord, that will rise up in such power that has not been seen on this earth. Do you understand what I mean? Jesus said so himself. Not because they are greater than Jesus, but because they are filled with Jesus and filled with the Holy Spirit that he sent. And it is Jesus who is doing it through them. But they will rise up. That remnant will rise in power. Just as it said in Revelation 3 in in the church of Philadelphia, the letter to the church, you have but little power, but yet I have opened a door for you. That door is the understanding of the Holy Spirit and how He envelops our lives to work in power. So church, rise up in this. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to speak. You know, it's been so hard. Last night, this morning, and I know Shannon can relate to this. Everything that the Lord keeps telling me is negative. Everything that he keeps showing me is destructive. Is all these things that lead toward death. So where's hope in that? See, the difficulty is I can shut up. I can keep that from within, just within myself And move through because I don't want to bring down other people because, quite honestly, it brings me down. Can you imagine how Jeremiah must have felt? Can you imagine how Ezekiel must have felt? They probably didn't have a lot of friends. (laughs) I'm sure. I mean, you saw the same thing happen with Jesus. Jesus didn't have a lot of friends. He had a lot of people that wanted something from him. 
But when he started to share real truth, they left. See, it's not a popular thing to share what God is really doing and what he's saying. But it's necessary because that is literally what brings the hope. That is what God is doing to bring the hope. And we are all expected and held accountable for that. Whether you think so or not, whether you believe it or not, you are held accountable. And you will be held accountable. Because the expectation of this time is that you're supposed to rise. You're supposed to be a vessel that allows the Lord to do whatever He wants to with you. But just like California, we get caught up in a thought of leisure. And, and I, I can speak that by experience. I spent, I think, eight or nine years or ten years, something like that, growing up in California, in Southern California. I understand the mentality of living in literally perfect conditions. Beautiful weather, going down to the beach every day, surfing, skateboarding. I mean, how cool is that for a kid? But when you seek pleasure and it becomes your God, then it's not real pleasure. It's a substitute. It's an idol. It's not even that you're not supposed to enjoy something. It's that you are looking to enjoy the wrong source. Because God is the giver of real pleasure. God is the giver of real hope. So he wants us to run He wants us to run as an athlete on that competitive level level runs. Like running to win. Running like you have something that it will cost you if you don't. Now, I, I want to read something else that he showed me this morning. I want you to turn to Hosea, and I'm, I'm going to, if you end up putting this on the screen, I'm actually going to read this out of the NLT, the New Living. He took me here. And he was talking about how this was a cry for today. And I want you, what he had me do, when I was reading this, was replace Israel, make it bigger, and make it as the world. Verse 1 of Hosea chapter 4. See, the Lord has a case against his people. And, and by the way, when I say the world, I'm talking about his people. These are believers. These are people that believe in Jesus Christ as Savior. Hear the word of the Lord, O my people. And I will just say my people. The Lord has brought charges against you, saying, There is no faithfulness, no kindness, no knowledge of God in your land. You make vows and break them. 
You kill and steal and commit adultery. There is violence everywhere. One murder after another. Is this sounding familiar at all? That is why your land is in mourning. And everyone is wasting away. Even the wild animals, the birds of the sky and the fish of the sea are disappearing. In other words, creation that is groaning over this has effect as well. Verse 4, don't point your finger at someone else and try to pass blame. My complaint, you priests or you pastors, is with you. Those of you who have influence is who he's talking about. Influence over the church. So you will stumble in broad daylight, and your false prophets will fall with you in the night. I will destroy Israel, your your mother. My people are being destroyed because they don't know me. Since you priests refuse to know me, I refuse to recognize you as my priests. Since you have forgotten the laws of your God, I will forget to bless your children. The more priests there are, the more they sin against me. They have exchanged the glory of God for the shame of idols. It's sad, but you see this all throughout the church. And perhaps not in the same blatant way that it is put here, but you've got to understand what this means. This doesn't just mean that, well, you, you now, O oh priest, you forsake God and... And now you worship a little Buddha statue. Okay? It could mean that. Because it did in Ezekiel's time. There were priests that were literally worshiping idols in the temple. I mean, go go and read it. It's extraordinary what was going on. But understand that an idol is anything that we put before God. Our own pleasure our own comfort. When we put that before God, when we put that before His calling, that's an idol. When pastors do that before their church, when they put a building as more important than what the call of that church is, it becomes an idol. When a process is put before the way the Lord wants to do something, that becomes an idol. That process is an idol. Well, we have an evangelism program, and we do this. You take an eight-week course and figure out how to talk to people when you walk up to the door and knock, you know, to get them not to shoot you. And then here's kind of how you work in, and blah, 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 blah. I don't know about you, I've I've been there in all of that. I remember in high school, probably not too many, and I grew up in legalism, but in high school, my my senior year, I remember going door to door, and, and it would be a badge of honor for people that would slam the door in my face. Not really what I was putting was, even though I loved the Lord... I was putting accomplishment, I was putting sacrifice before him and listening to his voice. Churches, if you develop programs to handle things, 
The program in and of itself isn't bad. But if it is not God that is doing it, if you are doing it simply because it works, you're making a mistake. If you implement a program, a marketing program, because you know that it brings in people, that's a mistake. Oh man, a mistake on so many levels, because... I'm here to tell you, churches all over, there are people you're going to draw that you do not want. Believe me. You want to draw people by the power of the Holy Spirit because it is the Holy Spirit that protects the church. It is the Holy Spirit that protects the leadership and what he is doing with that body of believers. Verse 8, when the people bring their sin offerings, the priests get fed. So the priests are glad when the people sin. And what the priests do, the people also do. So now I will punish both priests and people for their wicked deeds. They will eat and still be hungry. They will play the prostitute and gain nothing from it. For they have deserted the Lord to worship other gods. Wine has robbed my people to their, of their understanding. They ask a piece of wood for advice. You know, when I, when I heard this this morning when I was talking to God, immediately, I don't know why, but it came to my mind. I, I don't even know if they have them anymore. Do you remember those super, they were called eight ball or something like that? Remember those? You shake it up and not at this time. Wait, I want a better answer. Yes, go with, do it now, whatever. Do you know what I'm, and, and that's what came to my mind. When, when I read this, it's like you're asking this stupid little black ball what to do. How often do we do that? Even as Christians, how often do we do that? Well, what do I do? I, I remember, I remember even throwing it out to chance. And, as a kid, we're kind of taught to do this. Okay, which one do you pick? Well, I don't know. Eeny, meeny, miny, mo. Right? I'll just put it out to, to the fate. I'll put it out to chance, and I'll go with whatever answer it comes back with. Oh, how dangerous. See, God wants us to press into him. Why, why do we not just seek him? It's because we don't think we'll hear from him. That's why people don't reach out. That's why people don't seek him. They're either afraid that they won't hear from him, or they're afraid that they will. I mean, think about that. When we're so steeped in what we want to do, not even God is going to change that. And by the way, he does that on purpose. Because he wants you to change it. He wants you to choose him over these idols. O foolish people, you you refuse to understand, so you will be destroyed. Though you, Israel, are a prostitute, may Judah not be guilty of such things. This was when Israel was split into two, the northern kingdom and southern kingdom. 
Do not join the false worship at Gilgal or beth And do not take oaths there in the Lord's name. Israel is stubborn like a stubborn heifer. Okay, don't, don't tell me God doesn't call people names. So should the Lord feed her like a lamb in a lush pasture. Leave Israel alone because she's married to idolatry. When the rulers of Israel finish their drinking, off they go to find some prostitutes. They love shame more than honor. So a mighty wind will sweep them away. Their sacrifices to idols will bring them shame. When he took me there, and he said, this is a picture of America and a picture of my, my bride. It was heavy. It was heavy because of what is coming. And, and this isn't years away, guys. It's coming. It's upon us. You will see it. But when you see it, if you don't believe it will be too late. Trust in what he's doing. Trust in him. And then he took me just one chapter down because he, he showed me what it was going to look like in what he wants to do with this country. Go to chapter 6 of Hosea. And I'm going to end it on this. And Alexis, you could come up. Come, let us return to the Lord. He has torn us into pieces. Now, this is post what is coming, guys. And what he has shown me this morning, this is what I'm reading here now is post what he is about to do. Are you following me when I say that? Okay, let me start again. Verse 1. Come, let us return to the Lord. He has torn us to pieces. Now he will heal us. He has injured us. Now he will bandage our wounds. In just a short time, he will restore us so that we may live in his presence. Oh, that we might know the Lord. Let us press on to know him. He will respond to us as surely as the arrival of dawn or the coming of rains in early spring. And when I... When I first read that, it reminded me of something that the Lord said regarding the ten days of darkness that is coming. I, I, I asked him, Lord, what's it going to be like coming out of that? And, and because of our own intellect, I, I think it's so difficult to understand. But he said, he said, he said the best way I, I could describe it is the first light that was saw that was seen by the angels at creation. I can't even begin to know what that would look like. But that's what I thought of when I read this. He will respond to us as surely as the arrival of dawn or the coming of rains in early spring. O Israel and Judah, what should I do with you, asked the Lord, for your love vanishes like the morning mist and disappears like dew in the sunlight. I sent my prophets to cut you to pieces, to slaughter you with my words, with judgment as inescapable as light. I want to show you love, not offer sacrifices. I want you to know me more than I want burnt offerings. 
But like Adam, you broke my covenant and betrayed my trust. Gilead is a city of sinners tracked with footprints of blood. Priests from bands of robbers waiting in ambush for their victims. They murdered travelers along with the road to Shechem and practiced every kind of sin. Yes, I have seen something horrible in Ephraim and Israel. My people are defiled by prostituting themselves with other gods. O Judah, a harvest of punishment is also waiting for you. Though I want to restore the fortunes of my people. See, the Lord's heart is restoration. The Lord's heart is intimacy. And he will achieve it. He will bring this country to that place. He will bring his bride to that place. You believe it, or you can set it aside. It's your choice. Either way, it will not stop it from coming, because the Lord has spoken that it is coming. Come on. Those of you that were with the women this morning, I couldn't believe the beginning of Greg and I literally had no conversation about what the Lord gave us because really we weren't totally certain. In fact, last night we were like, well, Lord, I just hope you, I pray you give us what your heart is and what you want to say. And we just, uh, we weren't certain and we were trusting him. And even this morning, I, I didn't really have time. I was going to chat briefly with Greg and the Lord just kind of silenced me and didn't tell me and then he just ended up giving us the exact same message which is pretty astounding um, even the beginning with the, what we had titled our ladies class which is cooperate with your promise your prophetic promise um, clearly this is what the Lord had and before we pray I, I just the only thing I felt that the Lord wanted me to say is be careful what you think you need to feel better, to be encouraged, to accomplish something. Because what happens is really what Isaiah and I think even Ezekiel and other, other places talk about, which is um, a, a, a people in the, the bride, in the church, that says, just lie to me. <laughs> Tell me what is going to make me feel good, even if it's lying to me. Tell me, tickle my ears, and tell me what, um, what will just make it all better. And what happens is we end up sometimes, as Greg said, we, the truth is, is withheld because, um, and, and a lot of, there's a lot of pressure sometimes on church leadership to respond to um, comments made. And, you know, when people, the, I remember in the old-fashioned church just kind of it being depicted that the pastor would stand by the door and, you know, greet everybody as they walked out. And they would comment, you know, well, good sermon today. And, well, it was a little, little bit negative, a little bit harsh, you know. How about it'll be a little bit more uplifting next week. And, you know, these little comments and Almost like um, the, the preachers would, would take notes as to, okay, well, it's like they were taking an inner poll. 
as to what it is, what, what, do the pe- what do the people want? I'll work on that. You know, I had 10 votes for be more encouraging. I had uh, 12 votes for, you know, be happier. And, and, and so I'll consider that in my message. It's, it's interesting that, and, and it, it humbles me so much that there was a time that that actually made sense to me because I just didn't know different. I just thought that was just kind of the thing. That was a loving thing to do. Consider the voice of the people. But that mentality is clear evidence that you are absent from hearing the voice of the Lord. Because for that to be a consideration, whenever I speak the Holy Spirit, whenever Greg speaks the Holy Spirit, it is exactly what you need. That's just what's so interesting. When we speak the word, and, I, and you can apply that in your own life. When you speak in any of your relationships, in anything that you do, when you speak in sync with the Father's heart, filled with the Holy Spirit, you will be speaking exactly what needs to be heard. And it's not always going to be measured on how, how it lands, um, how it's received. When, when we speak the truth from the word of God, fueled by the Holy Spirit, then the outcome of that is on the Lord. And the only other thing I will say in accordance with that is when I said, be careful what you think you need. I had a conversation recently uh, when they, they knew who they are in a statement that they made first that I agree with wholeheartedly, which is when you are really walking filled with the Holy Spirit and he's really the one filling you in your Christian walk and in your ministry, there really is no such thing as burnout. There is There are trials, there are hard times, there are times when it's tough. But in terms of burnout, there is always a promise of equipping. And so it's very important that unless we stay in sync with with what the Lord wants, there are times he will say, no, keep going. Because if we determine, well, no, I need this, I need this break. You know, so often, and I can only testify in my own life, I have put my hands in so many different things, especially in women's ministry. It's a real temptation for many, many years. Getting my hands involved in so many things that tired me out. And what I didn't know at the time was that the Lord was not breathing on half of it. In some cases, not any of it. And then I find myself going before the Lord, crying, wondering why I'm so weary, so stressed, so distressed. And thinking, Lord, you need to deliver me. I'm burnt out. Or justifying a, uh, a withdrawal, a sabbatical that I need from the ministry because the ministry is so taxing. And when I began to hear the voice of the Lord, it was just like, my dear, you're, you're worrying yourself with so many tasks that I never breathed on. And we could do that all day long, can't we? We can get involved in so many things. What is the Lord breathing on? These are the times we need to hear the voice of the Lord. Or you're going to find that when the sudden shakeup actually is at your door, it's, it's begun. You can see it everywhere. We've spoken of, of um, dr- dramatic things happening, and um, there, is, there is evidence of it everywhere um, in terms of the hand of God moving in his justice. But if we're not in sync with his heart, if we're just reacting or even reacting to a, this is what I think I need, I'll go chase that rabbit. And he's not breathing on it. We're going to find ourselves easily derailed and unable to handle when the heavier stuff comes. And we're not equipped because we're not even in the right lane where the Holy Spirit is, is breathing. So I just want to encourage you about that. And um, what an important, important word 
Um, I, I just hope you'll take heart and you'll listen to it again because it's really important. Share, share these messages. Uh, when the Holy Spirit is speaking, share the messages um, because it's um, it's something that uh, again we want it. We want to know God. What? How do I respond to your heart? What What is it that you're saying? And seek Him for yourself, proving out in your own life what you're hearing because you need to know for yourself the voice of the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much. Thank you, God, that you are such a personal God, that you speak individually, that I don't have to wait before a priest to um, confess my sin or to find out something about my life. God, I can go directly to you because of what the blood of Jesus paid for. The veil was torn. I can now enter boldly before the throne of you, almighty God, to get all that I need to commune with you to speak with you, to, to hear you speaking with me. Thank you, God, that you, you tell us what's going on in our lives, how we're to think. Oh, but God, as Brooke even said in worship, you, you respect our no, but what great loss we have when we say no to you, God, because you only are standing at the door and knocking. And waiting for us to open the door. But when we do, you come in and you will sup with us and have beautiful fellowship. And so God, I pray that you would help us. Help us to not ever say no to you, but to say yes. God, to not even lean on any of our own thoughts. But to wake up in the morning praising you and asking you, God, what? tell me what to think. Get, get my, my head straight. Get my paradigms straightened out. Transform and renew my mind day by day. I've got to be in sync with you, God. As these perilous days are upon me, I just pray that you would help us all to recognize and beware, as we spoke about in the women's class from Mark 8, beware of the leaven or the yeast of the Pharisees and the yeast and leaven of, the, of Herod. The Christianese thinking and the governmental thinking. God, we've got to hear you purely. And that comes with a deep surrender. Not my will, not my thoughts, not my desires, but yours. Thank you, Jesus, that you even came and spoke and said, I am not here to do my own will, but to do the will of the Father. Oh, Jesus, if you can say that, how much more should we say that we are here for you? And your love is so, so amazing in that process. So God, I just pray that you would open eyes. Do what it takes to open eyes that may be closed for whatever reason in a block or in a barrier or in maybe a lack of surrender. God, do what it takes to open eyes in your bride and especially to a greater extent in your remnant. God, we just love you. We praise you. We give you the worship Drive this word today home deep, deep, deep within the soil of our hearts, God, that we might just produce a harvest of the fruit of your Holy Spirit. We love you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.